chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares, I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they gonna say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're gonna make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Facts and Jacks. I'm Tim Allen. Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 24. As if Futures up 101 as we're trying to... Uh, bounce back from yesterday when we were up yesterday morning, and then we finished down uh, almost the ex- well. Actually, we're down a little bit more than we are up now. So it's kind of up, down, up, down. We have the CPI number coming out this morning. We'll see what that brings. If it brings us the truth, if it brings us a bunch of BS, or what the market's reaction is. Do we have Professor Lou? Good morning. How do you read me? Read you loud and clear, bud. And don't and, so, don't, and don't call me Shirley. I- <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna open with a weird one, and I'm sorry I didn't uh, I didn't think about this until I I got up at uh, at 4:40 this morning. But uh, I was at the Air Force Academy yesterday, giving a speech to the uh, basics. Actually, I gave a speech to the entire cadet wing, and uh, and and mostly aimed at the at the new arriving class. So so. When you go to the academy, service academies, you come in in what's called a basic cadet status. You're not really a, a cadet. You have to go through the basic training, uh, and then they have a formal parade at the end of your basic training where you are accepted into the wing, in this area of the cadet, the cadet body. I mean, it's the Corps of Cadets at Army. It's the cadet wing at Air Force. It's the brigade, I believe, of cadets or whatever. It, I don't care what it is at Navy. Navy can slide into the Severn River as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> But um, what was the song? Uh, Air Force wings are made of lead. You know, remember the song? Navy wings I are made of gold. Remember. Air Force wings are made of lead. An officer and a gentleman. Oh, I I vaguely remember that. I I tried not to pay any attention to that movie. I was forced to go see it. Um. um anyway, you're not be forced to see Deborah Winger for God's sake. <laughs> I I that movie that movie. Brought back way too many bad memories. It was too close to uh, it was too close to my uh, my time at, at Air Force when I uh, when I saw it. Um, the uh, so I, I gave this and it was a it was a relatively short speech. Uh, I was just basically talking to these kids about, look, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna be challenged here. There are gonna be days here when you you hate this place, and and that's okay. You know, everybody everybody sort of goes through the same process, but but you know, here's the payoff. And and really, I, I couched it to them in the very basic way. I just said, you know, the big question for you all is, is this all worth it? And and here's why. Here's why it is. Um, but as I was driving back, I I was reflecting on, you know, the the gap between you know my world and theirs. And the fact that you know I'm old enough to be these kids' grandfather, and by you know by a ways by a margin, and most of my my Air Force Academy classmates have um, you know have have grandchildren, and uh, you know in in many cases they've got grandchildren who are you know who are com- entering the entering the academy, 
or, 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 or cadets. And I just and I saw so a long way of thinking, long way of saying, what kind of advice do you impart to your, you know, new people coming into into this into your business? What kind of a, overall advice do you impart on? Look, this is what's important. This is what isn't important. This is where you, you know, this is where you should focus. This is where you know if you do your job things will things will start to take care of themselves the message that i was giving uh, you know giving these guys yesterday was you know you're going to you're going to hate this place and, and on as i said on some on some occasions the, the the point i made that point by telling them a story about a simulator mission that we flew at uh, right after i graduated which involved in 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 the case of this uh, operation, a, a bombing attack, and the target was the Air Force Academy, and so everybody, all the guys that were Air Force Academy grads flying this particular simulator mission, we all moved the crosshairs for our aim points over the either the commandant's office or the dean's office, or you <laughs> uh, know yeah, where, yeah. where some where some you know maybe, but nobody and I I noted that nobody aimed for the chapel because one thing you learned in four years here was you don't poke the bear, and. Uh, Anyway, the the point the point was you're going to dislike it here. What makes it worth it? And what and I told him what makes it worth it at the end of the day is the experience that you have with your with your friends, the the personal bonds that you form with these people, the um, the interaction that you have, and the being part of this group that you know has has not had a normal collegiate experience but instead has been has been you know pushed pretty hard shoved in some cases at least in the case of our our classes they don't do this anymore but in in the case of our classes you know shoved all the way to the breaking point by our prisoner of war training and and you know you you, you all go through the same fire and you come out you come out you know tempered by the by the same by the same process and uh, I, I said that you know that's incredibly valuable, and and that's something to hang on to, and that's what that's really what makes it all worth it. Looking back from a from a perspective of fifty years, so again, long way of asking, what do you what advice do you give people sort of your young people sort of generically, either coming into your business or who just come to you for professional advice. How do I make this all work? You mean in my business? I mean in any business. If I, if you were, if you, so so let let's go with your business first, and then and then sort of generically, how do you what do you tell people? Um, now my business would be the really wrong one to talk about, uh, Lou, because when I started, my business was the absolute hotbed of entrepreneurship, and now it's anything but that. So now you're just an employee. Uh, well, I still am an entrepreneur at PTI Securities, but I'm one of the few, and I don't know if I would recommend that to anybody. But, I mean, a whole, a whole different world where you could come here as a clerk and learn how to learn how to trade a little bit and somebody put you on a badge, and it was all you. I mean, it was, it was the most... But you have, you, have, you have, I'm sure you have identified, because I've talked to you about this, off, off the yeah. off record or off offline, 
I'm sure you have identified things. If some if some kid came to you and said, "I want to go into the financial world or financial world," what what are your thoughts about what I should do? I mean, I I talk to young lawyers like this all the time, and and well, but you have to have the, the business. You, the business is dramatically different from when I started. But I mean, you even even your lawyer, the gentleman I was with last night, one of my best friends, Bill Murphy. He's an attorney, and he uh, was a. Uh, what do you call the guys that work for the city and prosecute people? The county. He was at for a while. Now he's been a defense guy on, on his own. A couple of people working for him, and you know the dude's pushing, pushing eighty years old, and he still works every day and loves it. Uh, he w- wants no part of being part of a a big law firm. I mean, I would I would never want somebody to come down here with my kid and go to work for Citadel or someplace. I mean, but now that's that's what it all is. I mean, it, when I started, Lou, it was it was like everybody was an independent attorney. And now there's three law firms that everybody works for. You know, it's it's a it, I would if I was an entrepreneur, I wouldn't come anywhere near this business. So it's it's my advice to everybody in in this happened to me, okay, with the, everything changing constantly. I mean to be to be perfectly honest, every place I've ever worked <laughs> that I really loved working for is no longer in existence. And I started in Allied Van Lines. I went to uh, Pullman, which had been there for a hundred and some years, making railroad cars, and they went under for whatever crazy reason. And then the uh, CBOE essentially is under, except for the shareholders that charge for God knows what. Uh, but, I mean, there's no trading there of any sort. There's a few people left, and all of them work for somebody. I mean, I think the, the message absolutely is, which is a little bit different than what you would give, is you constantly have to, the, the, the thing that's been my savior has been that I went to Notre Dame, I went to Chicago, and learned about a lot of other stuff, and I've been able to go from place to place, and those skills are there. And it doesn't really matter, I guess, what business I'm in. I have the same, but the guys on the trading floor that were making, some of them were way better traders than me, were making an absolute fortune. Now, I don't know what they're doing. They're probably doing mortgages or something. I mean, not that, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it just, I'm saying is they had, they had no skills to fall back on. So, I mean, I, I mean you're a lot different than the regular Air Force guy, and that you went to law school, right? Well, yeah, that's a that's a that's a subspecialty within within the overall officer experience. I mean, well, you didn't just say I'm going to be a pilot, and then all of a sudden someday I can't see very well and I can't do anything else. Well, no, but but you know the the military the military breeds for that. The military breeds for switch hitting. So so you start out. I mean, most of us, most of us start out knowing that if we're going to go into the flying profession, uh, and I did, I started in flying. I was not a pilot, but I started in flying. I got my wings, um, but I knew, you know, early on, like within, you know, a couple of months of starting flight school, that this was going to be something I was going to do for five or six, five or six years, and and then. I was going to be asked to do something else, and and I'd get to do something else, and then I might, I might come, I would come back to the to the cockpit, but I would I would do that for a while, and then I'd be asked to do something else, and and so I, I learned early on that just I was going to just need, one one, was, one quick interrupt. If you sure. learn to to be the pilot, and you, how long do you not do it before you're not a pilot anymore, and you got to go through the whole thing again? I mean, you don't get you, those skills don't hang with you, do they? Yeah, they do actually. You you get retrained, but yeah, they do. It's it's amazing. Now now, so for some guys, flying was it. That's all they ever wanted to do. And and the Air Force 
The Air Force didn't do a great job of accommodating that, but it was possible for you to put your put your career into a mostly flying role. And and if you did that, you would finish as a lieutenant colonel, maybe a maybe a colonel. Um, but but even with those guys, you weren't going to be flying for more than you know sixty, maybe maybe seventy percent of your career in most in most cases. So so the military, in a way. So it reaches a and point where is, they don't even fly enough to be considered current. Right, right. I mean, I mean, you you end up. I mean, by the time you get into your into your forties, you are you know you're coming at the at up at your twenty year career point. You are are not in the cockpit enough. If you're still if you're still on active duty, you're not in the cockpit enough to to make a to make a difference. Which is which is why most of those guys. Um, if they really want to fly, they leave at the twenty-year point, and they go they go fly for an airline, or they go fly for a charter, or they go they go branch off into into something else. Um, so what? So early on, the military forces you to start thinking about, okay, I want to do something else, and and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look for something else. Now, it you don't always have a choice. Um, I I didn't I didn't. So so for example in as I moved into my lawyer career field, and 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 again, you're not just going to be one thing as a lawyer in the in the military. Um, as I moved into my lawyer career field, I had to start looking around for okay other jobs related to law, but that don't involve lawyering. They involve other stuff, you know, advice or management or or whatever. And and frankly, chief, that was one of the reasons I got out. I wanted to try cases. I wanted to be a litigator, and I wanted to get really good at some area of law. Most most military attorneys have a a solid grounding in in military justice because we all do that. But but exposure to other areas of law is is usually quite wide, but not very deep. And I wanted to get I wanted to get in depth. And so that was that was one of the reasons I left. I stayed in the reserves, but I went into civilian practice so that I could get really good at a particular particular area of law. My point is that I I, I would tell I tell young people now who who, are, who who foolishly come to me for advice that you need to look for and there's a Japanese term for it and Andrew could probably look it up about for what I'm about to describe, but it, it I read about it when I was when I was working in Japan. It is it is a Japanese term that talks about a, a satisfying life in in work. And and by I the said, way, you sound like you, you sound like Kevin. He just texted and find something you love to do and try to be great at it. Well, this is this is I'm gonna I'm gonna expand on Kevin's point here, and I'm gonna formalize it a little bit. You're looking for something that gives you three things. You look, you're looking for A, something you want to do. Find something you really you like doing. Then you find something that will pay really well, you know, yeah. <laughs> something that, that, and then, well, like I said, find something you're good at, something you like doing, that's point number two, and something that pays well, that's point number three. They're not always the same. And then you look for the intersection of those three things. Well, the, the paywall, so the paywall part, 
in the last 20 years in this country has become very elusive. Well, I, I think I think the I think the focus in terms of paying well is, you know, do you want to be do you want to be rich? If you want to be rich, then then you need to focus on certain types of activity. I mean, when I say rich, I mean really rich. You know, you know, making lots of money. So you're 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 that if that's your focus, and there's nothing wrong with that as far as I'm concerned. If that's your focus then that that changes the the calculation because if you want to be rich that now overrides or that that becomes a priority over oh, sure. finding something that you really enjoy doing you're going to have to find something you're really good at that's going to make money or you're going to have to train yourself to that but it may not be something that you really like you really like doing some of the scariest people i've met professionally and and the advantage of being an employment lawyer and an employment litigator is that you see hundreds of different businesses and different business styles and management styles. But some of the most frightening people I've ever I've ever met in terms of sort of people you 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 really aren't aren't comfortable with are people who have put money at the top of everything. And, and they want to be rich, and that's all they want to be. And that's their measure of morality, oh, what personal success, whatever. The, these are the guys, and, and it's it, it was mostly guys that I ran into in the setting, men. These are the guys that, you know, the, the, the everything else is secondary to them. People are secondary to them. The only focus is on that that dollar, and how I can leverage this to get more money for me, and and you know it 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 literally is uh, this overarching, overreaching ego that that looks at nothing but gain, and those are those you know you look at those people and go, man, if you're not a if you're not a a psychopath in the in the DSM three or DS whatever it is DSM seven uh, definition uh, you're you're really close well there, there's you know? there's people that, that absolutely are in that and I, I will I will say this uh, Lou and I'm not, you know obviously you and I have known each other forever and you're you've done so much stuff for people that I know of that you never even sent them a bill but your profession has got to be the worst at that I mean if there is one around I mean it is it is it is in some cases but the, generally, generally, lawyers tend to be at least a little bit introspective. In well, I'm not talking of, about personally. I'm just saying that the out of all the businesses that I know of, and people who graduated on uh, Notre Dame sort of the same time I did and went to law school, I'm going to say that's the only profession I know of that has constantly ramp, been able to over a 40 year period ramp their ramp their rates up and, and expect people to pay them. No other no other business that I know of. Is his kept pay? There, there isn't any individual now that can possibly have legal help of any that they can afford. So, so I'm I'm I won't disagree with you in the in the gigantic firm context. Um, when when I talk about the hourly rates that that some of my peers are charging, for example, 
or, or that are having their associates charge in certain areas, it, it sounds insane to me. But the, the guys that I'm talking about, uh, generally that moral issue doesn't, what I'm talking about doesn't arise in that setting. It certainly can in law, and it, and it does. But the guys that I've seen that are, are the most focused on this tend to go into finance. They tend oh, to I, don't, into, I don't disagree. It, what I'm saying is, you know, I have a but, but yeah, but but I mean, I, so so I, I want to go back. I want to yeah. just come back because I don't want to beat this to death. But I want to come back to because this is a little more of an amorphous topic than we normally talk about. I want to come back to the original kind of point, which was, I tell I tell people you're looking for in any career, you're looking for that intersection of those three things: what I'm good at, what I enjoy doing what I can make a make a living at and finding trying to find that that sweet spot I was very lucky I I realized early on in my professional career that as much as interesting as my flying stories could be I was bored out of my mind flying aircraft and being even on a mission where where I had I mean, we were doing some. We were doing some very important were you, stuff. Were you usually the guy in, in the pilot seat, or were you doing all the other stuff, the electronic stuff? No, no, no. I was doing. I was doing all the other stuff. In fact, my. I think I. I told you this. My job was. That I was a, what was called an electronic warfare officer. My job was intercepting, analyzing anything, any type of electromagnetic spectrum signal that was guiding a weapon. Okay. So 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 radar, millimeter wave guidance, lasers. The air, the platform I flew on, was was designed to pick up that stuff, intercept it, analyze it, and I worked with a team of other people to do this kind of real time intercept analysis, and and pushing that intelligence out of the aircraft. To other people who could use it right away, and I saw things that were like the most amazing stuff from of the Aurora Borealis, you know, flying oh, over yeah. the North Pole at, at two a.m. Uh, and and you know, you know, stuff off the you know the places we flew around, you know, the Soviet Union or or you know in the South China Sea or or in the Caribbean. Anyway, how did those how did those B17s ride, okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. What was, what was I, the I, oldest one you ever in? So all of us all of my all my a bunch of my classmates at this at this event yesterday. And and again, these are all guys who graduated from college in 1977. And and we were we were all a, sitting in this section of the stands and and one of my classmates turned around and said what do you think the cadets think of looking at all these people, all these guys? You know, I mean, we're much older than their parents. Yeah. One of these, what do you think the cadets think of this? I said, so I, one of my other classmates said, I think I heard one of them refer to him saying, oh, sir, you're you're sitting over there with Jurassic Park. <laughs> well, you know, the thing of it is about being young and looking old, you get there pretty fast. And well, well, that's right. It, it, in any event, I realized very early on I was not going to enjoy doing that, and I needed to find something else. And so, and so... I was lucky when I stumbled into law school. I ended up when I ended up at Duke. I had some great professors who who really taught me how to try a case and and gave me the fundamentals of that. 
and and I found that that capitalized on some skills that I already had, and allowed me to refine those things, and then and then I, I the I was incredibly fortunate in my my initial civilian professional life to go to a law firm, a big one, where I had four or five of some of the top at the time I didn't realize it, but four or five of some of the top trial lawyers in this area of law in the country. And those guys were my mentors and whatever. And dealing that that got I, I was very fortunate, but at the same time I had the focus and I knew this is what I was looking for. I wasn't just kind of blundering around. If you talk to a number of my classmates who stayed in the in the military and went for the full, you know, 25, 30 year career a lot of them will tell you, you know, I never really focused on anything. I just kind of went where the Air Force sent me. And that, yeah, oh yeah. I, I, See, it's actually I easy. Never, it's easy. Well, it, yeah. it, it could be. It could be. I mean, they were, let me put it this well, It's way. not easy Wherever to do, Air, but it's easy to, you don't worry yes. about it because somebody's pushing you around. That's right. But, so, something else Something else to make a decision for. It. Now, the reason they were able to, to it, that sounds like, well, these guys had no ambition. They had, they had great ambition. Oh, sure. They were and and wherever the Air Force sent them, they did a they did a terrific job. They 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 exceeded expectations. They were problem solvers said. wherever you stuck them. That's exactly right. And they really some realized guys, somebody was, somebody's going to put me where I need to be. It's it's almost like a George Marshall going from his job to China to Europe. Here's a job. Right. Here's a guy. Let's put him there. So so in what I look for and and what I what I tell young people now is. Hey, you're looking for that sweet spot, but what you really want to do is you want to be, if you're going to, in your professional career, and I'm not going to try to advise you on what's a successful family, but in your professional career, what you want to be is what I call, what we call in the employment law business, the gold collar employee. And I've talked about this on the show. It's been a while, but I've talked about this here. Well, we got to dash off the break because I want to type what you're what you're saying into a lot of the stuff that's been going on in Chicago here for a while with the jobs and all the other stuff. SP Futures up 21. NASA Futures up 90. We'll see if we can hold this with the numbers coming out at uh, 730 because we didn't hold it yesterday. We were up and then we were down huge. I'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day -day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. 
Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 21. NASDAQ Futures up 89. We're trying to make up for yesterday's turnaround. We were up not this much yesterday. We actually probably were up almost exactly here yesterday morning and then the other way. Uh, and was down, tried to make a comeback, and it fell off again on the close. It was kind of it was a brutal, clunky day yesterday, whatever however you define that. An EK up 269.8%. Hang saying up two, call that flat. Saying I up 10, 0.3%. Eh, not, not much one on there either. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX. These guys are down yesterday. DAX up 84.5%. FTSE up four, call that flat. CAC around up 66.9%. So they're the leader over there today. Yesterday, Dow was down 191, S&P down 31, NASDAQ down 162. Like I say, we're we're back about uh, maybe two-thirds of that in the S&P, not quite half of the NASDAQ. So, uh, bonds, uh, unchanged at 4% exactly. Uh, the Bund, up three basis points, 2.49. Japan, up two basis points, 0.59. Uh, oil, which has been on a rise, not not today, down 43 cents, but still 83.97. It's up $4 plus in the last maybe week and a half. Rent down 24 cents, 87.30. Natural gas unchanged, 295. Arbob down a penny, 291. But back up to 291, it was 278, I'm gonna say on Friday morning. Uh, gold, up 420, 1954. Stuck right in this middle 1900 range. Silver up 11 cents, 22.84. Again, I think silver under 23 has been a buy. Over 25 has been a sell. Now. The one thing about ranges is someday you do break out, so you have to be careful on, on playing ranges. Copper up three cents, three eighty-one. We've got Bitcoin up twenty-five bucks, twenty-nine thousand four seventy-nine. The U.S. dollar, which has been 
A cause of some of this consternation is actually down today. The euro is up uh, 0.5% to 110. It was 109 yesterday. And the, and the British pound is up to 127.6. That's up 0.4%. So the dollar gets crushed here a little bit. Again, CPI numbers uh, at 730. Andrew, what do you got for us? Trevor Miller Sports. All right, it is 636 here in Chicago. Starting off with some sports. Uh, we have the Cubs played against the Mets, and the Cubs lost 4-2-3. The White Sox won over the Yankees 9-2-2, and the Diamondbacks lost to the Dodgers 2-2-0. Uh, here in Chicago for the weather today, it's currently 65 degrees. We have partly sunny skies. I feel like I haven't seen that for a while. We're going to have a high of 85 today, and a very, very slight chance of rain, at least that's what it says right now. About a 12% chance, and that's going to last around 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. And over in Phoenix, they're currently at 91 degrees, uh, mostly cloudy skies. They're going to have a high of 107. It looks like an excessive heat warning is finally toning down. And over to some Chicago traffic. Uh, thankfully, no major accidents to report. Just note some inbound slowdowns uh, on the Eisenhower, Stevenson, and, of course, as always, on the Kennedy. And if you're on the outbound, just look out for a bit of delays on the Eisenhower, and that's near Austin Boulevard, possibly due to an earlier accident. Uh, but other than that, things are looking pretty clear. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Um, Louis, you know, it's what you're... I mean, I know you've got things to do in all... Let me, let me, just, okay. let me just finish the gold-collar employee analysis. A gold-collar employee is somebody who comes into an organization and instantly makes it better across whatever performance measure you want to you want to use they're smart they're they're motivated they they treat people well they they have a the ability to to cut through bureaucratic uh, issues and and instantly make an organization better at whatever level they enter and and um, you know whatever the whatever the task is within that within that group, you want to be a gold collar employee if you can, and that that's that's what I tell people. Okay, I, I'm what do you think about you. Chicago? No, I'm I'm with you 100. percent I uh, the only what I'm saying about this generation it's different than ours, and I don't know. Uh, well, people aren't different, but the 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 generation the part that's different is so much of this is. Um, some of the stress is out of your control, and that's why I think this group, you know, if it's anything like the last 25, 30 years, is going to struggle. Because I'll give you a quick example. When I, when I went to work for Pullman, here's my Pullman reference, there were people that I knew, there; they were third generation at the place. So, I mean, the place had been there for 100 and some years. And people, if you wanted to be a welder, you went and you made, you know, you didn't get rich, but you had plenty enough money to have the car, the bass boat, and the house, and uh, you know whatever, a little house in Wisconsin maybe, and that's that's what people did. They were they were blue collar people, but they most of them were pretty darn smart. They were all you know educated. They liked to read. Not everybody, but all of a sudden uh, the world starts shaking a little bit. The procurement thing gets a little bit different. And all of a sudden, some firm buys the place to loot the pension fund, and everybody's gone. I mean, it's just gone. It, you know, it's. And uh, you know, the stuff that went on with China, people just put this stuff overseas. And now, I, I look at the South Side where I grew up, Lou. It's 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 the equivalent of Berlin after the war, to be perfectly blunt. I I know. And uh, and every I one know. of these places is gone, except for a few. And the few that are that are left, where my nephew works for one of them. There's no, there's some left. There's 
all of a sudden the uh the, the wind changes a little bit out of the china and overseas stuff where we can't wait to offload child labor and everything else they're doing over there all of a sudden some comes back hey here, here's all this business yeah but i only got 10 people now i don't care i need it by saturday so now everybody's sitting there going all right now is this is this now i'm gonna I'm, i don't know the answer to this i talk about it all the time but it's, it's the exact same thing you're talking about only on a different level is this going to be a career should i invest in this place if i'm the owner of this place and i got two kids do i really want my son or daughter looking to run this place and make a career out of it and be able to have a spot where they can hire other people and help people's lives out or two years from now is some other you know knucklehead president going to say oops we, we, we screwed up we're, we're lowering all tariffs on china and we don't care as long as it's cheap i mean and all of a sudden you're out of business here. i mean this this is i mean we're talking about where i am in the loop right now there were thousands of people that made money making markets for the for the securities world and somebody somewhere decided we don't want that we want four firms making all the money that all these people used to make well, the markets now suck compared to when there were more people making it, but it's not going to go back. Well, these people make a million dollars a day, some of these places. It's all, so so you, know, you can't be a trader anymore. You can't be a small firm really anymore. I'm, I'm in it because we're good at it and I'm stubborn. But it, this stuff, I've never in, in our parents' generation, this kind of stuff didn't happen. Now, obviously, if you were sick, it was worse. There were, there were pressures in every, every time people were alive, right? And by and large, I'd say this is a pretty good time to be alive compared to you know what our parents went through. But still, the, 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 you have to just get yourself as rounded as you possibly can so you can roll with the punches. And, and somehow or another, you, you, know, you have to see when these, when these major changes happen, you just can't get caught. Like the people who had the, the trucking paper back in the early 70s or, or if you were in Braniff Airlines and all of a sudden you're out of business. I mean, it, it's th- these kind of decisions that come out of people's... This is the stuff that if you're in the Air Force and you go from place to place and you're a terrific guy, you honestly never have to worry about. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not, you're not going to run into this kind of, a, of an issue because we're always going to need people to fight the war. Yeah. And, and, and the war is always going to... I mean, for, for our purposes, to all intents and purposes, the war is always going to be there. There's always going to be some, some type of conflict. I just I will pitch out to you right now that the legal profession is about to undergo a monster change, and and I, at least as far as I could tell, um, and every sign is pointing to it right now. Most of what we do as lawyers is analysis, and um, you know putting this into into words that that are then either put in front of a tribunal. Or, or in front of a client, or in front of, you know, the public, and saying, here, here's, you know, here's the the, the position on the the conflict between these two, these two entities or these ten entities or whatever. Here's how we're going to resolve it, or here's how it could resolve, or here's the best course of action to avoid getting into this resolution issue. So it's a very analytical and verbal. To the extent when I say verbal, I mean as a using words, verbal kind of um, of, of process that is about to be replaced by artificial intelligence. Yeah, I don't buy that. And, yeah, I I do. For most of the stuff that, that that lawyers do, most of the things that clients are paying this you know large amount of money for, the 
if you if you go in and look at, at some of the AI that that's producing written work right now, it's indistinguishable. What's the difference between that from, and the and the the fifty page legal document where forty eight pages have been written a hundred times before for other documents? Same thing. It just you, you can do it better. Well, well, what the what the AI is doing? See, see the it, to the extent that to the extent that we're not. Uh, generating different documents, we're doing the same thing over and over again with certain types of contracts or certain types of, of of other systems. To that extent, AI has already replaced the attorneys. I mean, right, but, this, but the you know, attorney did the same thing. He did his own AI. He just, he just well, took from one and well, stuck it attorney, on another. The attorney, the attorney did it, or, but it's not an attorney doing it. In most cases, it's a paralegal. Yeah, or 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 it's it's a it's an actual it's an actual application. That you simply tell the application, I want a document that looks like this, 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 and this, and the application will go through and pull the the correct terms from from the previous contracts that you've done, right? And assemble that into a document. What what the app what applications are doing now is if you come in and say, I've got an issue with a claim of sexual harassment involving uh, uh, a uh, a gay, you know, employee being being harassed by another gay employee, and uh, you know, by by unwanted touching or unwanted comments. Give me the analysis on that. Chat GPT or and some of the other AIs are perfectly capable with just that description of assembling a credible memo that will go through and pull up the associated law. And give you the law on this, and give you a factual integration of that law with with the circumstances you've described. Now, that's that's fifty percent of of what you have associates to do in a law firm, right there. And, um, and but and somebody's it's not still going to have it, to review it, right, and decide if it's good enough and everything else. I mean, it, you you it's can helped. you can have it can. It, we are going to get to the point very quickly, Tom. Where another AI can review that and give you give you a, a, a spit out product that you as a layman or you as a as a business manager, human resources manager can look at and say, okay, that's good enough. So I understand what I got to do now. You still think you can charge twenty grand for that? Well, well, no, and that's it's not going to be a lawyer. It's not going to be a lawyer doing it. It's going to be some corporate salary, corporate HR person. Who who goes to the the AI, and that they that they have on their system, and says, "Here's the facts. Tell me what the law is." And the AI is going to assemble that memo. That's what a lawyer's. That's what. That's, okay, but that's I'm a saying significant it, portion of our job now. Well, I mean, it's it's you not. Don't need a, you don't even get you're not even going to get to the lawyer. I know, but it, it's not that much different than one of the guys who passed recently. Was a kid to get out of law school, and somehow he had huge debt, which we'll talk about here in a second, if you don't mind. Huge debt and uh, credit card debt, so he never was able to get anywhere. But he was constantly being uh, hired by law firms on big cases because I guess he was pretty bright. I don't know to do research. They paid him thirty-five hours an hour and billed him out at like three fifty. Well, now you're gonna now you're gonna have AI do it for nothing and still bill somebody out at three fifty. You're n- no, <clears throat> it's not gonna. Here's my point. It's not even going to get to the law firm. The law well, but you're not going to get an HR person. You're not going to. No firm is going to want an HR person sending that letter out with some lawyer without a lawyer approval from somewhere else. 
uh, the HR the HR person is going to go to the go to the AI and say, "I want this." The AI is going to give him this this list of things that you can do and, and tell him, "All right, here's the here's what the law is. Here's what here are the facts you've got. Here is the issue you've got." And and the HR is going to go to either the the boss and say, "Here's the memo that talks about what we're doing, and here's my recommendation," or the the HR is going to go to another AI and say, "Here's the analysis. Well, I know it's, I know it's legal analysis. Integrate this into a management." I know, scheme. but I'm saying, in, in my ex- experience, which is nowhere near as much as yours, but they had they had on staff attorneys at the CBOE. They never sure. let them send a letter. This, this better go to Schiff Hard and somebody over there because they've got the insurance. They don't want the responsibility. Even if the guys here did it, they had to take it over there and pay somebody to send it out. Well, that that may or may not be that. That's the way it's working right now. My point is that there will be at some point I, I'm getting a you. lawyer, yeah. a lawyer in in the loop, or some senior management person in the loop who will look at it and say, "Okay, this makes sense. Let's go." But but that is the, you can absolutely, and it's going to happen soon. You will absolutely be able to take your your external counsel out of the loop, and and simply ask your application. I need a legal opinion on this. The well, app is going to give you that legal opinion, which is exactly the same as your outside law firm would do, and it's going to go to somebody inside your your operation who's going to either bless it or say we need to modify it. This is exactly what happens in the in the the legal I think, world. I think for for it to get there. And by the way, and your business and your business insurance, chief, your business insurance is actually going to tell you. Look, I want you using the app because the app is less likely to make a mistake eh, than well, a human I mean, lawyer. I think somewhere along the line, you're gonna you need to cover your ass app because that's all people <laughs> that's all people are doing with this anyway. But but and that's and that's you know that's where the next software move will be. If I'm an insurance company, I'm going to say fine. We're going to insure it, but you you're we're going to insure your business decisions. We're going to give you the what's called the EPLI insurance, uh, employment practices liability insurance. We're going to give you the employment practices liability insurance, but you've got to you've got to run it through this app. And if we see you using this app, we have confidence enough in, the, in what that application is giving you in terms of advice that we will we will insure you. And yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. where this is headed. But I mean, nobody uh, nobody wants their name on that letter. That's the point. Is what I'm saying. Nobody wants responsibility. Well, I, I, tr- trust me. If you pay people enough, they'll be happy to sign the letter. Uh, I suppose. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, we'll, you know, we'll see where talk this goes. Talk to you about what's happening in Chicago. Well. In what way? I mean, Northwestern. Well, where does I mean, city? I mean, it, I mean, in terms of these, in terms of the, this employment advice or career advice that we would be giving young people. Well, this you is know, what I'm saying. For, you're you're in a city in, you know, in in decline now. Is do you expect any kind of a, I'll use the term, blue collar resurgence? Should anybody? I mean, uh, Kevin's always talking about in his area. It's there are people. It's more of a blue collar area. And this is not a shot at anybody. I mean, it's where I was forever. Uh, I considered trading a blue collar job. So, is it, and his and his uh, his motivation always has been to, if somebody's a warehouse shoving boxes around, doesn't make them bad. Decides, all right, I want to do a little bit better than that. They're going to go take a, a course in scheduling. They're going to take a course of this, and then all of a sudden, when you maybe going to get a promotion, 
you might go take a course in finance or accounting so you know what you're talking about in a meeting. And, it, and, and their, their goal is to bring people up little bits at a time, just like if you're a, an auto mechanic, which, by the way, we should have bought a mechanics repair shop when this COVID thing happened. Uh, but, I mean, you can go to Moraine Valley, and you can take a, I don't know how many week course it is, and you can come out certified in brakes or ignitions or something. And there's, there's ways to do that up and down the line. But the question is, is this, is this a career? I mean, or, or, or would you want your 25-year-old son saying that, you know, 15 years from now I'm still going to be making a nice living repairing cars or whatever to help people are driving or flying or whatever they're doing that, in that length of time. And it's this kind of the future is so murky, Lou, because we've seen huge wrenching of populations and whole sections of cities. I mean, Akron, you name the place, uh, you know, in, in um, Peoria, those kinds of places. Stuff just gets up and moves, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're nowheresville. And I, it's very, I, that kind of a, of a future where we, we, don't, we don't even know what the tax laws are going to be. We don't know if we're going to move someplace to Mexico. We don't have to move it here. That, that kind, the investment for an individual person, entrepreneur person. Now, now for me to do that, I'm going to go pay 10%. Guess what? Amazon just paid two. How the hell am I going to compete with that? I mean, it's the, the, the problems we're having now in terms of entrepreneurship and getting started and running businesses and hiring people and seeing growth, I've never seen anything like it. I don't, I don't, I don't know how I'd even teach that class, to be honest with you. But I'm not being negative. I'm just saying... I, All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push this now into the political. Well, that's and where it is, yeah. Back, this comes back to a theme that, that you and I have, have developed over the, over the years. But I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it in the context of the Hunter Biden stuff. That is frankly getting. I mean, this is. I thought this wasn't a surprise since I first heard and saw about the laptop in, in oh, 2020. Yeah, yeah. But but what is coming out and what came out yesterday from from the the House Oversight Committee is horrific, and it's exactly the kind. Of, but it, but it's exactly the kind of craziness that that goes to I think the heart of what you're talking about people feel like they are being buffeted by things over which they have no control without a doubt without a doubt and part of the reason that you see that is the kind of immoral and that's the word I'm going to use the kind of immoral conduct that is typified in what we're seeing coming out in this Hunter Biden Joe Biden Lou, back and it up to is, a, back it up to an. No, econ- no, just, what are you saying? Give me one second. Back it up to a, an economic analysis. I believe that in this country, in the last twenty years, there has been virtually zero growth. If you look at inflation, now I might be a little off, but it's nowhere near where they're saying it is. I mean, they're right. peeing, they're you, peeing you, on their shoes and saying it's raining. But but, I, but in that kind of a context, if if everybody's making two or three percent progress every year, and somebody cheats and makes four. Nobody really cares, really. I mean, you're doing okay yourself. But if there's a negativity or an evenness to growth, every time somebody hits the lottery ticket, your immediate your immediate reaction is he must be cheating, and he probably is. Because I mean, uh, it, it has some well, kind I, of government wanna, largesse wanna, so or wanna, something. I want to track you. I'm, I'm saying it's a it's a mental thing. Section. It's a mental thing. I want to no. I want to track you off in a section okay. or sec- for a section a second. What is happening, what happened with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden is, is exactly the kind of 
unanticipated, inexplicable buffet right. that hits that hits you. And you're doing you're doing business, and 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 I did business over in Eastern Europe. I worked in that area. I was working to build a bit to build business enterprises in the former Soviet Union, in the CIS, and then more recently looking at trying to expand into that market when I was working with my company in Bologna. And and this is the kind of this some guy, the the son of the president, waltzing in there, getting all this money paid directly to him as a bribe to his father to to suddenly alter the course of, of government or alter the course of, of economic development on a whim, on the snap of a finger, that's the kind of buffeting that that the average guy who who, who is working in a business says to himself, I it, it's pointless to try to push this. It's pointless for me to try to get good at something because I am absolutely at the mercy of this power elite that is doing nothing but adding money to their coffers and, and doing it on a whim well, and doing so it saying, not because not because of competition you're saying exactly of, what you exactly what I've been trying to say from the economic side for years and years it's I mean if if World War II if you had a PT boat operation and you were making the engines you know I don't honestly care if you get five percent more because you got a little bit of a government in, inroad because guess what you're buying the bearings from me you're buying the pistons from the guy down the block. It, it's 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 not perfect, but it's okay. But now you can't get anywhere if you don't have your nose up the ass of government. And, and you got these carpetbaggers. It's not the Joe Biden stuff horrifies me. But I'm going to say he's just he was just another senator. He's just another kid with a big drug problem that found a way. How many Joe Bidens are there in Washington? A hundred, well, thousand, ten thousand. That's that's my that's my point. Yeah, I, I'm saying that 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 this typifies. The problem that that the the lack of control and lack of ability to plan that that I think really does cause young people, entrepreneurs, pe- people who are looking to to do stuff, causes them to step back and say, "I am not plugging into this. This is this is or too, you can't. This, this is I'd too love crazy. to, but I can't." <laughs> Well, that's I don't right. have the I, right I bloodline. Can't, I can't plug into it. Uh. You know, I don't have I don't have those kind of connections, and and it's it's just well, yeah. Like I said, I I I'd be there needs to be some mechanism to try to short circuit this. I would start with impeachment, but that's just me. I'm I, I'm I've been vehemently opposed to, to this particular president from from day one because of a variety of reasons that I've articulated here. And and what you're seeing play out now is exactly what I thought. How I thought, Mr. Biden and his right, and, and if people he, around him, how if, they work. If the 330 million people in this country put those two guys back up again this this time, I don't know who oh, we got to blame man. but ourselves, Lou. I mean, I, collectively. Uh, uh, agreed, agreed. But you you understand? I mean, I understand at least. The Trump core that that is is doing nothing more than expressing irrational rage at at what has happened to them and the people around them because of the failure of of our federal and state and state governments 
to, to adequately manage their their charges. I understand the irrational rage that says, I want a guy who's going to burn it all down. And I want a guy who's going to articulate my rage. And that's what Trump does. Sure he does. But it's, we got a dash here, but it's, it's also even people that like that part of the guy, which I actually don't mind either, but there's got to be something positive coming out of it. He, he had four years to do something, and everything is just negative. I mean, I, I, one, of the, one of Audrey's uh, family members has a guy, a pilot of all things, and he's, he goes, you know, I'm conservative. And I go, okay, well, you know, I'm conservative. And I said, no, and I'm almost said, like, is there some secret handshake here I'm missing or what? And I said, so you like Trump? He goes, yeah, I, I like him. And I go, well, why do you like him? And it was, hates Hillary, hates minorities, hates immigrants, hates people. It was, I don't know, four out of the five were hates. Well, I, I sort of get that, <laughs> but but that's not progress, Lou. It's you know, it it, it only gets you so far. You know what I'm saying? It's, no, but it's, it's but it's but it's it's a re, it's reactive. Yeah, it's reactive populism. Yeah, but I mean, and, and that's but then you but, end up but with that's that's what Donald Trump supporters are ta- or that's what Trump is tapping into. Yeah, and until until DeSantis and Scott and some of these other people recognize. That there is, there has to be some element of that in that campaign. Well, sure. That thirty, that thirty percent, that is just mad at everything. Any, everybody, about, we, about gotta, we absolutely have to dash. We're cutting into dance time, but any anybody, people on the right, don't take this wrong, Lou. Uh, people on the right need to do one thing to understand the Trump situation. They need to, they need to watch Michael Moore's tape. About oh, I've watched Moore. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a big fan of his. But that no, tape I'm not was, either. But that that but tape was spot on, spot on. Yep. And it, it was something, okay. something where I'm talking okay. about. Was something I was, was I was talking about. Last twenty years, you've lost the bass boat. You've lost the thirty dollar an hour job. You're making fifteen. The wife dumped you. The roof on the house is leaking. That's where you're at in this society, which is exactly right, isn't it? Well, well, I think that's certainly the perception. Yeah. So let, let's get. We'll talk down. about let's next week. On. I'll, I'll right. check off. You take care of yourself. Care. SP futures up twenty. Nasdaq futures up eighty nine. And if we got Dan already here, uh, let's just, uh, why don't we just put him right in? Sure. How are you doing, buddy? You listening in a little doing bit? Great. How are you? All right, listening in a little bit. Lou, uh, Lou is always good. I, yeah, I just heard the last few minutes. Well, he was, uh, he, yeah. his, he gave a speech yesterday at the uh, Air Force Academy. Oh, cool. And he was telling Very us cool. about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Lou's an interesting guy, and he's a, he's a good dude. Uh, the, uh, anyway, so what do you, what do you make of market up, down, up, down, all over the place in a, I was uh, been talking a little bit uh, in the last week or two about you know the the, the difference in, in cash some people have versus people don't. Yes. And, and it's interesting how uh, well, of course one of the listeners I don't know the math is exactly right, but he said if if all the money that was sent out for uh, the pandemic relief, if every if it just went to regular people, you know, and I sometimes stupidly say if you just if you just gave everybody fifty percent more money tomorrow, you wouldn't do any difference. It'd be like a stock dividend. Everything would just everything would just adjust. But the problem with the inflation is it's not even. Anyway, he one group has that if they would have sent the money out to everybody, everybody would have gotten a nineteen thousand dollar check, not three thousand. Which is actually Agreed. actually people got like thirty two hundred, and uh, I think that's I think that's a little high. I think it'd be more like twelve. But the the point is being made. I mean, who got the rest? Those are the people. Those are the people having the brunch at Oakbrook, you know, and the Drake in Oakbrook. While the rest of us are, are trying to find places, we get a three thousand three percent discount if we pay cash, right? And it's a, 
mean, Russell was, and Russell's our uh, professor from Indiana, and, and he's written a couple of books. And Russell's, he goes, I mean, I never thought I heard him say this. He goes, he drives, I mean, he goes to Indiana. His family still lives up here, and he's he's uh, teaching in Indiana. He goes, I just want some of the people in the Fed to drive to Indiana, drive from Chicago to Indiana one time, and just see what things like are like in Indiana. Because <laughs> it's, he goes, what what world are they seeing <laughs> in Washington? It's not this world. Absolutely agree. You know, and I've mentioned the same thing a few times on the air about people coming down here where we're still in the middle of hurricane repair. And, you know, it's a very different world. I mean, our our um, uh, housing market is, you know, is, is, is has turned. We're not seeing the same amount of demand. And, you know, look out west where in places like Austin and even further west in California where the, where the housing market is, is um, is down quite a bit and then look at places like the northeast where the money just keeps coming in prices keep going higher so i, I agree with you there's definitely some um seg you know like some geographic segmentation and, and washington has seen it from a very um myopic view what uh i don't know if you had a chance to listen to the russell stuff yesterday and he was talking about the market and, he, and he's he's not a you know buy this today or that he's not, not, not that kind of guy but he he's really concerned about the, the headwinds this fall yeah, and I, and I and I would you know I would say that I have generally been concerned in terms of looking at the big picture like the secular trend in the market with credit tightening, but there is one thing, Tom, that I'm not sure that people are really paying attention to because it kind of creeps up on us, and it's something we don't have a whole lot of control over, and that's gas prices. That's it's oil prices really, but individuals are going to see it at the pump, and we're already seeing it the last few weeks. There's been a steady trend in higher prices, and that is only going to continue. And this is the same kind of thing that happened at the beginning of COVID. So I remember Kenny Polcari calling me on that Sunday, right when all the news hit, and that's when oil prices were were going all over the place because the Russians and the Saudis had decided to um, halt production, and then they actually decided to to, to increase production. There are a lot of factors that go into oil pricing that are way beyond our control and way beyond what really is going on in the global economy. Well, they're, they're, they're and they come our, up and they beyond our, on us. Well, they're beyond our, shor- our short-term control, but long-term, no. Long, yeah, I mean, sh- a short-term, though, I'm saying yeah. that I think that the one additional headwind that we're going to have coming into the fall is, you know, will be higher oil prices. Um, and especially at a time now where there may be, after the summer uh, travel and vacations, there may be a little bit of, of a, a pullback. That may be more amplified if, if this trend continues. Bigger picture, I agree, credit tightening. Bigger picture, I agree. We have not seen the final impact of higher interest rates. It's, it takes time for that to kick in. There's, you know, we've been saying all along that that it's just not the time. I mean, that, that there's a lot of money in the system that's chasing, say, the tech sector. Um, I think on the other side of that, though, there should be some good news with infrastructure. There should be some good news with the CHIPS Act. Um, so I think those things are balancing out. But I also believe that the, the stock market is somewhat overvalued in here. And you have to be specific. Um, you have to really look at the specific stocks to see where the best value is. All that being said, I think it's going to be a good time for bonds, because as as this part of the cycle continues to um, progress, 
the the mid and longer term bonds are gonna we're gonna see a flattening in the yield curve and we're gonna see more value out there at some point it might be early still but at some point why uh, uh Dan well as a guy who drives a suburban me <laughs> three quarter ton with a four ten rear you can only imagine uh, that I hit the gas station once in a while uh plus I got a forty two gallon tank so that's a drink right uh the uh the average person every, the average car probably gets if you drive a, uh, a thousand miles a month and you get 25 miles at a gallon, which the average person does, I mean, I don't, but people do, that's 40 gallons a month. Um, so if the price goes up, you know, 10%, you're talking about four bucks. I mean, I, no, nothing is in your face, I agree with you, like the gas price. You drive by every place you see it, you put it in your in your tank, it's right there. And it's all these guys talk about on TV. And I understand that if oil doubles, it's in everything else. You, it's in the, the delivery guy. It's everywhere. I mean, I, I, I hope I get the, the drift, but it's, it's, it varies compared to what the new car prices have done to people. It, mean, and I agree a hundred percent there with you. In fact, I'm in the market for a new car as well, so I've just started that process. And I agree with you a hundred percent. But what it really is, Chief, is is perception. Yeah perception from from you know everyone you know from the average um anyone who owns a car that stops and gets gas it's perception oh wow we thought this was taken care of you know it's still somewhat perception when you go to the grocery store and you still see items that are outrageously overpriced so there's a perception that we're not out of this inflation period and that there could be more to come and I think it takes away some of that credibility that's been built up, that sort of started to come back here, where the investors started to put more money in, where the where the consumers started spending more again. I think when that it's it's I agree with you. It's not dollars for dollars. It's not the most um, you know. It's not the largest segment, but it is where people see it, and it is. Uh, where people feel it and it's also more importantly it's the perception that hey what's going on here i thought we were on a steady trend downward well dan why why can you and i every thursday and when we get together for for cocktails uh we can talk about this stuff and yet nobody else talks about it i mean I, the idea that i mean if if i were to say gee my suburban gets 12 miles a gallon okay maybe a little more if i if i'm down going downhill um and they said, what, what are you driving that thing for? You get something. If I go out and pay 75 grand for some new car, all right, that's going to get me 25 miles at a gallon, the tax on that, I think here, I don't know if, if you pay local tax on cars. I'm going to say 8%. It might, oh, yeah, it might be as much as 10 The tax is going to be 6 grand. The, right. the, the biggest benefactor of this whole bleep hole has been the government on inflation. So this, i got to pay the state 6 grand or more to buy a new car that that's six grand i won't spend that much in gas the life of that car i no, i hear you and, and, and it's true it's the and you're also right that the prices really haven't come down much and so that's a kind of a, that's a conundrum that we're in right now where there's there's um you know the the at least in that sector if you will and my one experience last week going to the local dealership and, and actually walking out because i was just, I was just floored that by the numbers i was seeing online oh, yeah. and the numbers they were they were telling me that i would actually be paying um you know there was almost a ten thousand dollar difference and 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 i i that is it's going to take time for that to work itself out and it's going to take a smart 
company. In fact, uh, when I'm there in two weeks, one of the companies I'm meeting with is AutoNation. They're they're the um, you know the the guys that run a lot of the dealerships, especially here in Florida. And I'm going to have a nice talk with those guys. And I may I don't know if it's before or after I'm on the air, but certainly it'll be um, before we meet for drinks later. And I can share my experience because I really want to know what's going on at that level from the people who are running those places. It's one thing to buy a used car from a used car salesman who only sells like he has a small lot or even go to an individual. It's another to see what's really going on in those dealerships. Well, I really miss uh, Audrey's cousin who uh, passed too young, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, because he was a used car guy. And he, they family owned a big Oldsmobile dealership, and then, of course, the you know, Oldsmobile went out. Uh, but I used to, I, I really could get my finger on the pulse of, of the world by talking to him. Absolutely. And he'd tell, yeah, me how absolutely. Many, he'd tell me how many people that he was able to get in a $4,000 car, and he, he was holding the paper. For not a, not not a lot of interest because just people just needed something to get to work. I mean, it's in the low end. It's really hard for people to get into a car. It's really hard. It is. And I, but, yeah, it, but it's you know, it and there's the you know the, the the model right now. I'm I'm somewhat confused about it, and hopefully I'll learn more about it. Um, meeting with AutoNation, but the but it's it, it's very confusing, and it, and it's still you know it's although I deal with the dealers market with high yield bonds, and I'm used to that. I, I don't really want to be doing that when I buy a car. I want to know what you know. I know I want transparency and pricing, and like you're saying, all these other fees that are tacked on plus the taxes, it makes it less um, convincing for for a person who. And I know a lot of people. In fact, several I know who are listening right now that have cars that they're basically running into the ground. Well, I am. I am. I admit it. Yeah, no, no, and, no, no, and, I and I am too to a certain degree. But I, the next time my car needs a, you know, it already needed a new transmission, and Mercedes don't make transmissions anymore, yeah. so it's going to die again. And I just want to get out ahead of the crowd, and I'm, I'm looking for something more SUV just for the the convenience and um, the room. But but the I think the um, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and barriers to purchase are not going to help this, you know, this our economy. The other thing, sort of big picture, that goes along with this, and it may not be quite as easy in the auto world as it is in some other sectors, is there will be, and this is the great thing about America, is there will be other companies coming in to fill the gaps or maybe to start charging less than some of these companies that may have taken advantage. So whether it be, think more like a restaurant and all of a sudden, you know the prices are outrageous. Um, looking at a local place here in town, a Thai restaurant that is literally charging double what the um, the Vietnamese place that's always packed charges, and they're just the fact that they're still trying to get away with that. But the thing is, the Vietnamese place down the street, not the exact same food, but if you it's but but the quality of the food is much better. So the point being that it that you do have the ability to have competition and and this is what's great about America is that you can have somebody else step in and and offer better service at a more reasonable price and you know they have to they'd have to grow their business based on volume but it gets the word out yeah, you know other than I mean? a, other than a other than a restaurant a bar a barber shop a beauty shop uh, I, 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 those are good examples as well I know but name name me I think the auto companies of which you can include the overseas ones, it's it's just a big cartel in my mind. There's like eight. It is, and I was and I and I was thinking the exact same thing. I was thinking the exact same word, and I was going to say it would be the same thing with oil, right? Yeah. 
Well, kind of looking the, the difference, uh, diff- uh, you know, I, I actually think um, uh, oil is way more competitive than cars. I mean, there's, there's 21 cu- countries that ex- export oil. The discipline in that cartel has been impossible since 1973. They yes. always, they always. But my point is, the entire automob- automotive industry. Not only do they are they stuck in with government regulations and stuff that cost a fortune, and uh, but we're down into collectively they've decided, wow, we can produce 20 percent less cars at 40 percent more prices, as long as nobody breaks rank and offers something cheaper. We're 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 in hog heaven, and I and I think a lot of these companies maybe even never thought of it before, until the COVID situation. They're like, wait, there were you're right. Yeah. There were there were the Kias and the and the Hyundai's and the there yeah. were there were some change, and they actually some of them were producing pretty decent vehicles that were maybe not quite as top notch as the competitors, but they but. But you're right. The barriers to to entry to to create a new name and the time frame to do that as well, right? It's but not I, th- I think you know, Dan. We're not. I'm not an expert on this, and, and I'm an expert expert. Wasn't there a time? I'm going to say three years ago when we were maybe first talking together. Wasn't there a time when somebody the the the, the, the government? Right. I, I believe it's still going on right now. I mean, boy, we need an expert. I think the government is is stopping the foreign countries from. Selling stuff cheaper here. Is there wasn't there some law that they wouldn't let them do that or some crap? There was some, some. Uh, yeah. There isn't there some uh, fee for for bringing something in or something. There's something going on where they where Hyundai or somebody tried to be a lot cheaper and they wouldn't let them. Yeah, and that was sort of part of the you know build build up in America. You yeah. know, like try to focus more on American um, American made products and to help our economic growth and all that, but. Think about it now, where we have such low unemployment and you know wage wage growth, wage inflation. Um, that could be one area um, where we would see um, you know you could see people going back to um, just as they had in the past. I mean, it's something as simple. We're talking about you're talking about going outside of the country. For me, it's something as simple as going outside of the state. So if your state has, you know, charges higher taxes or if they it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you title them in your state. You got to make up the difference. Yeah, yeah, at some point you do, but I mean, there's, there's still a, um, there is a differentiation. Yeah, the point um, is, the point is when you get your license. Have you ever done that? Yes. I mean, if you if I go buy a park, car in Arizona, which I have, if if I elect to pay the Arizona state tax, they'll ask me there when they, when I show my driver's license. If I elect to pay, say, the state tax in Arizona is four percent if i pay it there as soon as i go get the title in illinois i think in illinois if you buy it out of state i don't think you have to pay a local tax but you still got to pay the state tax which is like six and a half or seven i'm gonna have to pay the, the difference or i can just say to arizona i'll pay it when i get to illinois and they'll say okay because they're not titling it when i get to illinois yeah. i gotta write them a check for the six or seven percent yeah but the reason the reason in recent times people have made their Second home, their primary home to get around that. Well, yeah, I mean, so I could actually the state buying in, buying in New Hampshire, where a lot of people from the Boston area have moved up to New Hampshire. One of the first things they do is buy buy a new car. Actually, I got a quick story for you, Beck. This is a long, long time ago, and I was working for Allied Van Lines of all places. This guy Dan Rogers, he was a character. He's play handball with a, against him, and uh, but he was a funny guy. But he in Oregon, you could you could you could buy a car in Oregon and title it in Oregon in a, in a PO box. And never pay taxes on it. 
Okay, so he, he goes out to Oregon and he buys this. What was the 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 nicer Fiat, the Lambo something something? Lance Lancia? It was a Lancia. Remember those things? Yeah. He, buy, he buys a Lancia. It's a nice car. Brings it back here and it, he pays like 10 grand for it. And the, the, it was an expensive car at that time. It was like, no, he paid like six. But the total, the, the, the original purchase price was like 18. So he goes to get a title. The Secretary of State says, well, you got to give us 10% on 18 grand. He's like, what do you mean? We paid six. Doesn't matter. Nobody paid the original tax because you were in Oregon. Now you got to pay it here. <laughs> and he's like, what, what the bleep? And he ended up having to pay it. He wanted to. T- I mean, it's they, they. They're pretty sneaky, Dan. Just saying. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think the a phenomenon though that's happened, you know, especially since COVID, is is people moving to states that don't have income tax, for example, and making that their primary residence. They may still have that home in Illinois or yeah. California or Massachusetts or New York, but now you know, fifty one percent of their time is in in Florida or Tennessee or Texas or you know, a state where you know New Hampshire. And and so it does make sense to switch those drivers, you know, well, the, the plate, but, plates over, and, and 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 I think there has been that trend of, um, you know, of, of being able to, you know, save the money in taxes. And I and for me personally, I've done it. You know, I left Massachusetts to come to Florida, and I do appreciate that I don't pay state income tax as a Florida resident. So well, so Indiana, that is a trend, but that's getting away from what we're saying. We're, yeah. You know, but I do think there'll still there will be something that happens. And yes, the administration has made it difficult. Um, part of the reason, though, if you go back a few years ago to what you were asking, is that it was taking jobs outside of the U.S. Right. Original concern. And what's happened, though, is that because we're having trouble finding people here, period, um, then there could be a, a motivation to to bring that back. And to, to, well, you know, we, 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 I don't trust. I, I'm with you. I don't trust the, the people in the administration or the regulators to have that level of sophistication when it comes to economics or when it comes to understanding what's really best. What you um, say when you say you can't find people here? I mean, that's workers. Well, okay. What I'm saying, my, my my nephew's place. I've not talked about this more than I should, but if if you were to say to the guy, "Here's three contracts. Where are we? 2023, and you got you're going to make me widgets for the next seven years." And here's the deal. You know, we're going to have a, you know, let's not use the CPI, but we have some sort of an inflation gauge on the stuff and everything. We need this stuff, like we're bringing it back from China, whatever, it's a seven-year deal. I guarantee you, if you and I ran the place, we would find workers. We would hire people. We'd have a long-term plan. We'd train them ourselves. We'd ship them off to either Kevin's school in Indiana or Moraine Valley or someplace here to get certified to run machines and stuff. We'll send them to the machine place to let them train them for six weeks and pay for it. We, we, we can find workers. But right now, nobody's willing to make, to make that investment. You want a worker at a decent price that's already trained. Well, good luck with that. It's, like it's me very trying, hard to find. It's, me, it's very like hard me. to find right now. I mean, what, what if, what if uh, all of a sudden people drop you know, $20 billion on me and said, uh, gee, uh, I want you to manage my dough. Where, where exactly am I going to find five people that I would trust making trades without me saying yes or no? I'd have to. It'd have to be guys that I traded with twenty years ago. I hundred I mean, percent agree. Otherwise, I, I'm going to have to. Otherwise, very, I have to train. Go ahead. Go ahead. It, it's a very different world, and and the thing is, the training. You know, you and I take it for granted that we had the education we did, and then the training that we did early on. And I have a CFA as well, and. But there's, especially when you're talking about jobs in, say, the mechanical field or 
we were talking about the HVAC company. Yeah. They're having, they're really having trouble um, training people and getting trained people. And I totally agree with you. What ends up happening is you go back to the experienced person. I've told a story before about engineers who are friends and family who are well past retirement age being offered huge sums of money and huge, huge pay increases to stay on board for that exact same reason. That they're just—it's much harder to um, to find the qualified talent. Well, because we don't and, train them. If we train them, they'd be fine. Right, and the training is a really important part of this. One other area, going back to what we were saying about you know you know businesses rather than you know these. Think about education. So go to education as an example. You know, we were talking about some other fields. We we're talking about restaurants. We we're talking about businesses that have increased uh, prices and then can be undercut but what's happening in the in the educate the world of education is you know for those of us who look at things with the value manager's point of view you know why would some kid want to pay a gazillion dollars to go to a so-so private school when they can pay a lot less to start at a community college work a couple of years and maybe get some real good practical hands-on experience at the same time and maybe even get some money um, that trend has increased over the last decade and will continue to oh, increase sure yeah. and and I really hope that that's where the support goes in in this and in, in kind of away from the you know the 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 prestigious if you will and not always prestigious private you know pricey private schools well, if, if you but if, if you if you hire a lawyer at a Harvard law school, even if he or she's a total jamoke, you 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 would you can justify charging five hundred hours for their to sit next to you in some meeting. If you get them out of, you know, uh, John Marshall, probably you can't do it. Even though the guy from John Marshall might be smarter. There've been there's reasons. Maybe maybe didn't have Elizabeth Warren as a as a college as a professor. Maybe. Hey, I got to. <laughs> wait. I mean, uh, you know, the funny part is real real quick on the education piece. Yeah. It, it's funny how how people. Very smart people. Uh, when when the when the tuition is three times as high as it ought to be, all right. I mean, I, when I put my Notre Dame tuition from 1974 into the CPI number, it ought to be maybe maybe twenty thousand, and it's seventy. So now it's 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 that ridiculously expensive. Higher. What you're talking about is we used to call them at Pullman workarounds. Can I go somewhere else for two years? And, yeah. and yes. But th- all this wailing and gnashing of teeth and and stuff is because it's too friggin' high. Yes. If, yeah, if it was twenty thousand, if it was twenty thousand, twenty five thousand to go to her name, nobody'd be bitching anywhere. It'd be worth it, even if you came out with an English degree, probably. You know, I mean. Absolutely. Anyway, I got a question for you regarding uh, our discussion with Russell yesterday. Uh, he he brought some stuff up, and I you know I would not. Amazing the stuff I think I read, <laughs> the stuff I, I miss, Russell. I didn't. He says if if we're we're actually going to put. He's talking about the headwinds this fall, which you mentioned earlier. Uh, he says, if we're actually going to start people paying their student loan debt, was it the end of September? He goes, yeah. He goes. that's a massive headwind, especially when we're talking. Also, yesterday, they some lady wrote, some lady, some very bright lady wrote an article on CNBC, how credit card debt one just went through a billion dollars. I got it on the debtclock.org. It's a, a billion three. But I, I went through the math yesterday, and I shouldn't do this. All it does is aggravate myself that there's 43 million people that have student loan debt and the average payment per month is 250 bucks or 248 say 250 if you do the math there for god's sake it's what is that that's 8 billion dollars a month is is it's going to come flying out of the 
out of people's checkbooks? That's that is a that's a serious headwind. I mean, it's not just that's not just the breeze. Yeah, it, I, I had it, no idea a, it was that much. It's a serious headwind, and again, it's a perception. Just like like we were talking before, like like with gas prices going up, it's a perception because it impacts a large number of people. So what the message that it's saying isn't just that you 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 you're going to have to pay back this money, which affects their their wallets. That that's the obvious. But then it's also a perception. Oh wait a minute. This is going to change things because things are tightening, right? Things are tightening, and it's not going to be as easy to get this money repaid as we thought it might be. We're not going to be forgiven. So it's that perception that will keep people from putting more money back into the system. So not only are they not acting as consumers, they may not be putting more money into the stock market. They may not be putting more money into their 401ks at work. Right. Oh yeah. If they know, if they know that they have this extra payment. But it's, I think it's this um, perception that really is what drives, I think perception in general is what drives the market. Consumer sentiment, investor sentiment is so important. Consumer sentiment gets knocked when they have to pay back the loans. But I do think we should have a, you know, if I had to give a course on this when I was younger and explain what I did going to school, I chose a graduate school where I got a scholarship, uh, William and Mary, fantastic school, state school, fantastic experience. And to me, again, as a value manager that looks at money, I think it, it does take some shopping around and not just buying impulsively. And that, Tom, I think is very difficult for guys like us to either tell our clients or really just to tell the general public, you know, as you're driving your car and I'm driving my 10-year-old car, you're driving your car that's even older. I think it's hard to instill a sense of spending on people, younger and older, who are still spending at out, outrageous rates and not really don't really understand the bottom line of all that. So well, that you... goes back to my recommendation that we have a class in personal finance in school that's mandatory. Um, and you know, it's something that I think would really change our uh, education system. And I think it's just like you said earlier, surprising how few people get it. And I'm talking about incredibly intelligent people who just don't get basic finance. Well, I mean, I think we, we're we're trying not to tell, not to teach people. I think to, to a large extent, but anyway, hey, then there's numbers coming out here. Let me get this. We let's hang for one for one minute. Let's get the CPI report here, Dan. I'll, I'll get it here before the guys on TV. I'll go right to the. Uh, we uh, are though. You and I, we are. We're trying to teach people here. Yeah. that's what we're doing. And that's, that's what we're doing. And, and, and I want to make sure people are listening because because there are a lot of opinions and a lot of people will go to their YouTube video. But you really, I mean, you, what you, where you want to learn from are guys like us who've been through this, guys like Kenny who's been through this for, you know, for, you know, 40 years and more. Do you, Those do you, are the uh, people who know. We're the guys that know. Do you think this, uh, people having a 0.2% uh, ex-food and energy, I don't, I don't buy any of this, but uh, that's the number. That's why we're rallying here. Up, we're up 35. What, what do you, what do you uh, make of, I wonder if they've adjusted it again this month. There we go. July uh, unadjusted change, point two. Adjusted change, point two. So, they've got it from July twenty two to July twenty twenty three at three point two percent. Because uh, last summer was a big number dropped off. Uh, we're still not. We're still not counting the, mon- the the stuff that we did for three years. I'm not. I don't. I'm not so sure they're wrong about the last month uh, or the last week. But the the total number here is, I think, totally off. Dan, you, I think you agree with that. But I don't know what we can do about that. So. Um, what do you what do you, what do you make of this? Does this mean these guys are going to start lowering rates again, or what? 
No, I don't think we're going to see. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, we have. I mean, the numbers are just about to come out for today for CPI. Well, they just and, did. And, and we're, we're, they just did. It's a year, uh, year over year. It's three point two, and for months it's point two. Point two on the okay. So we have more numbers coming out in a month. month. Um, Tomorrow. I'm not sure if they're going to. They may pass. The one thing to point out, though, uh, Tom, is we've got two hikes coming or two potential hikes coming this year. We have two meetings this year. We have September and we have November, and that's it. So what they're going to have, if they're going to increase, they have t two times to do that. If they're going to pause, I think, if they pause in both sessions, I think that tells a message that we've reached the the end of, of um, hikes. I, I think we have. Um, my guess was five and a half about a year ago. So I might be. Uh, I think you were spot on. We got to head off to Mr. Flanagan. John, uh, Dan, thank you. Talk to you sure. next week, and then I'll see you the week after that. Uh, yes, yes. We, let's go right to Jan. SP futures up 33, Nasdaq futures up 164. I'll keep I'll keep us current here because they're flipping all over the place, and the other stuff is uh, the Europe. We'll get that in a couple of minutes. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? You do, Tom. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, you sound like you're back on Zoom. Yeah, I I think I had a corrupted version, so I uninstalled it. Done, you know, the, the, the new version of it, so everything seems okay. Andrew, who get out on investigation? Who corrupted Jan's Zoom? I will get right on that. It's got enough opportunities right here at home. <laughs> Who corrupted John Zoom? That would be a great... Uh, That's Agatha Christie, you know? It would be Jackie Gleason. You asked the question, remember? <laughs> um, Rudy the Repairman. Yeah, Rudy. Who who wrote the Monroe Doctrine? <laughs> Same person who's buried at Grant's, too. Yeah, yeah. Actually, didn't uh, James Madison write the Monroe, Monroe Doctrine? And Monroe just signed it? Isn't that the story? Well, it could be if Madison was still around. If he was still around, I don't know. So what up? These numbers, uh, we're not, now we're only up 26. I'll keep this current here. Uh, up, down, up, down every day, uh, Jan. I was kind of surprised uh, Russell was that concerned about the student loan headwind starting in, I don't know, when he's, is it end of September? People have to start paying or is it in October? Somewhere. Yeah, I, uh, I had no idea it was that much money. Forty. I mean, I, I should know this stuff. You're supposed to know all this stuff, but... The average the average payment's two forty eight a month, and there's forty three million people that are, that are are. Uh, I, was, I was I couldn't I couldn't believe those numbers yesterday. Yeah, I think uh, you know, you add that fact that there's going to be this you know unleashing of you know ways that people will have to find to pay for this in a climate where their rents have exploded, car payments have exploded, you know everything pretty much has gone in the wrong way, and. People were buying time and, and you know, sort of borrowing whatever to keep afloat against the, the fear that someday they might have to actually start paying these things again in some fashion. But I think everybody's afraid of the D Day for that because when it happens, it's going to cause such turmoil for people who are already you know, barely getting by or not getting by. So, I, I mean, you look at what's happening in credit card debt to me, that's that says that. Even in a period period where you didn't have to pay your student loans, it isn't like you've got gobs of cash you can fall back on. Uh, you're just right, you know, increasing your obligations and making it harder to cope again when you've got a, a big piece of your monthly nut that you learned to live without having to pay. Now it's there again. I, well, I yeah, think I mean, you, can, you can learn to live without going to the local saloon. It's hard to learn to live without going to paying your electric bill. Right, right. I mean, and th these are things that people, you know, once you you do a moratorium such as was done here, do that for anything, whether it's rent or student loans, um, 
there's a reckoning when you finally you know have to you know go back on the wagon and decide what the, what else is going to have to give here. It isn't like we can keep continue doing what we've gotten used to doing at all. And I think people are going to be pretty frightened by the prospect of having to reinvent their budget every month. John, is there a I mean, you know, I'd rather not get into a right versus left who owns the media kind of st- kind of argument, because uh, why, why? I mean, and and also I know that this this is America, and at the, in the back of our minds, Americans always think. Which actually, we talked a little bit yesterday with uh, who's talking about it uh, with uh, Professor uh, Hal about how the people who are here, they're immigrants are so much happier to be here because this generation is doing so much better than the generation before and they get great hopes for their kids, getting education and so forth. They're not afraid to work. I mean, I'm generalizing a little bit. Uh, but and it, but the group here feels in a lot of ways different. I'm not talking for everybody, but you realize that we haven't made the same kind of progress that our parents did. It looks like our kids probably aren't going to either it's it's a whole different mindset between on which end you feel you're whether you're on the uptick or on the downtick, and yet I'm 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 curious how the the uh, media the news media of which we uh, you know it used to be you had a half hour news at night and you, there was somebody you believed that was Walter Cronkite it was Dan Rather who was I believe actually were pretty serious guys, and the, net, the networks gave essentially gave not gave because there were commercials there. Uh, half hour to be to a certain extent truthful and now we have this news kind of all day and whatever all over the place and and i you know obviously whichever you re- the right and the left and the thing is i, I never actually see john ever and maybe because i'm used to having the weekly newsweek time and those kinds of stuff that I actually went through this kind of stuff i never see any real hard facts news i never i never see a guy like you or i coming on and analyzing say the the UPS or the Caterpillar uh, new contract and say, okay, the last time people got a raise, they make, you know, 30 bucks an hour, and the last time they got a raise was, was 2018, so it's been, or 2020, make it easier. So it's been three years. Now it's a four-year contract, and that puts us out to 2027, and over that seven-year period, they're going to make 40%. Now, these guys at... 30 bucks an hour, that's 30-some thousand a year, correct? I mean, it's 2,000 hours in a year. Well, now we're going to give them a 40% raise, or say say it gets up to 37,000. We give them a 40% raise, so now they're in the high 40s. Okay, now wait a minute. We're going to take 8,000 of that because the, the tax bracket is 42, and we're going to charge them instead of 12%, 22%. So that, that comes out of this. Okay, and then... Maybe in some states there's a bracket there. I don't know. I mean, Illinois doesn't have a bracket. But I mean, I don't see any sort of real analysis that just says this is where the person is. I mean, this is not this is not left. This is not right. This is not anything. This is just the truth. This is the kind of stuff you used to get, I think, in the weekly magazines. Uh, I don't know. To this day, I mean, maybe it's just me being lazy. If going back 40 years, we would have gotten a U.S. News and World Report with 15 pages in the middle telling you with maps of Ukraine and who's where and who's got this many tanks and who's got this many planes. I don't see anything like that. Yet everybody has an opinion, yet nobody knows anything, including me. I mean, it, it's, it seems so weird that everybody thinks they know everything, and we, I think collectively we know way less because it's not there. No, nobody's explaining any of this to us. I mean, the idea, 
if you listen to CNBC today, you're going to talk to 15 idiots, not idiots, 15 people are going to talk about gas prices. And not one of them is going to do the same thing I just did. Boy, if you go out and buy a new car, you're paying six grand in tax. That six grand is one hell of a lot of, t- of gasoline. And yet, uh, uh, the average person uses 25 gallons of gas a month. Uh, make that uh, 40 gallons of gas a month if you drive at 12,000 a year, which is a lot. If gas goes up 25%, guess what? It's four bucks. Not four bucks. It's, it's 40 bucks. So what? I mean, it, it's not so what, you know what I'm saying? But it's, I mean, out of all, it's nowhere near the price of a new car. It's 75 grand in the state charging nine or 10 or whatever. It's not even close. Or, or your roof going from five grand to 20 grand. I mean, why, why can't we even be truthful about this stuff? Tom, the deceit is happening at a couple levels. I mean, you look at the, you know, the BLS numbers or the CPI numbers, you, you, you take whatever example you, you want, really, of raw data that is cranked out all the time, and that's already been massaged so many footnotes and so many, you know, tweaks that they don't tell a coherent story, anything like what is really happening in front of everybody's viewpoint. You know, nobody, nobody can really find that in the numbers. So you, you've got that kind of corruption of raw data. But then, you know, news analysis has been replaced by messaging. And this is, you know, where I think there's no, you know, confining this to right or left or, or any political spectrum. Everybody does it. It just means boiling things down to the destination you want to reach. And you're in business to push an idea. You're not in business to push people to think about stuff. So it's it's really you know to me it's, it's a twofold attack on people's ability to read what's going on around them in any kind of coherent, sensible way. We're, we're prevented from doing that. So I, I you know the, the people receiving the data are as bad as the people producing the data. I guess that's, that's part of the problem. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, but I don't even. When you talk about uh, um, prescription drugs, for instance, uh, they've got them here at, at point uh, nine four of somebody's basket. Okay, well, I'm, I'm at the age where, uh, uh, you know, I'm actually pretty darn healthy, thank God. Uh, but I take a drug for high blood pressure, okay, which I'm sure you know ninety percent of the people over my age do. Um, I do too. Um, They've got it up 2.8% in this last year, and they've got it 1% of somebody's basket, 0.94. Well, I just called for my 90-day supply yesterday, some place that, you know, some place in Minnesota. I don't, I don't know how I got to, My doctor told me to go to those guys. They go, well, you know, the 120, it's now 156. Okay, then. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> I mean, but it's, so that's, what is that? It's, it's, it's 30%. Where is this 2.8 coming from? Yeah, it, it doesn't, you can't find it, Tom. And that, that tells me that the data has been, you know, tabulated in such a way that it's it deliberately excluding things like that, which, and you know, that's not an isolated case. But there's, but there's, there are, there has to be a huge drug when, uh, what was the one that everybody was, was, was it Merck's biggest seller? The, uh, the just finally went on generic. Is it the, the one for, uh, Cholesterol, whatever it tells that thing. Uh, that was that was their huge billion-dollar drug that became became generic. Was it? Uh, tells name of it. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The one they had everybody was on a statin or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It, it became so. There there have been some that have dropped off 
that have actually dropped some of the prescription drugs for people, right? Because people things have dropped off, uh, you know. Well, for that matter, what Viagra is way down because it's couldn't they st- that's when they stopped advertising everywhere, right? But uh, right. the other one was it wasn't. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll think of it. But it, it was somebody's huge statin that, that, that every every uh, every fr- every Lipitor, uh, Lipitor? yeah Lipitor, every every uh, you know every everybody over the age of sixty, some some uh, physician wanted you on it, right? I mean, uh, I think it was Lipitor. But uh, it might not be. But what I'm saying is, it, I mean, it's I wouldn't want to be the person who who does these statistics because they're really hard to do. But somewhere along the line, you got to look at it and you got to say, you know, really, I. Uh, and it, but you know, to the point where people are, are trading on it, they're they're not only just trading on it, but the uh, I mean, shelter is 34 percent of somebody's stuff. That's probably reasonably close. Uh, I think I have. Uh, where do we have here? The, the one that health insurance is. Is 0.59 percent of somebody's basket, okay? According to this, and it's down 29.5 percent in the last year. I name me a person whose health insurance went down in the last year. No, no I mean, way. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's as if you know. I'd, I'd have to do a deeper dive than I'm capable of, of doing uh, to get a, at the root of this. But the, you know, the way drug prices are negotiated now, and you know especially you know, for, for people of Medicare age and, and Advantage plans and all this, there is no way to track what people are Your asking. Zoom is zooming out. Where are you? Can you hear me? Yep, it, yep. No, you're yeah. good. There's, there's no way that you can um, take out of those numbers what's re- really coming out of people's pocketbooks and say, here's why this isn't reflected in as dramatic a way as you would expect. But I think it's all being shielded in a way to prevent anybody from really you know realizing that what they're having to pay doesn't in any way equate with what we're being told you know look at how little you're paying look at how little prices went up last month i just it's all about some kind of deep disinformation campaign to keep people from you know experiencing the rage that that lou was talking about a little while ago and maybe that's why you know there's a a method to what they're doing with, with allowing the open borders if they can get enough people in here who are perfectly happy with what they have compared to what they came from, and for what they aren't able to get, they can go around the law if they have to, because that's what they've grown up in various places, understanding they have to do. You get enough of those people who think they fit the gravy train, it kind of tends to drown out the screams and yells from the people who are getting fleeced. Well, John, what what is the guess, what is the normal? I mean, I I look at you know people's angst about the border, and I understand that that when you get people that can walk across. You know, it it's a problem. I don't know what my solution would be, but it, but obviously it's not Ellis Island, you know, where people had to come through. But I guess my I don't I have no idea, and maybe you don't either. It's an unfair question. What is what is the uh, immigrant immigrant procedure for like other other people? I mean, I mean, in Orland, I you know, I spend the weekends out there most of the time with Odd. Uh, there's all kinds of people from I can't tell. I'm going to say somewhere in the Middle East. I don't know if they're Arabs. I don't know if they're Iranians. I mean, I, they're, most of them are taller than me, so whatever. I think they might be Arabs. I'm not sure, but I, you know, whatever. But, but I never said. I mean, there's a lot of uh, people from India. Dan, it's again, it's like they died and went to heaven. They they love it here. I mean, they are they are the, they are absolutely the model neighbors. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying every single person. I don't know them all, but I don't. How many how many people from 
Saudi or India can come in per year, and how do they, they just show up? Or I mean, what, what, what? I don't even know. I guess what I'm asking what's the normal mechanism other than swimming across the Rio Grande? Because it seems like there's a lot of people from other places here, a lot of Chinese people. Or a lot, I mean, what what's the normal? Yeah, there's, me- there's you know, people with multiple IDs, but most of them fake. You know, defunct social security numbers. No, I'm talking about these people. I'm saying they're, they're here. How, how do how do Rod's next door neighbors? These lovely people from southern India, still the place there. They're both doctors. They work at. Uh, how are, how are, is there is there restrictions on them, or do they go to school here? Does that allow you? To, I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they got you know a work visa of some kind, and you know they were able to extend it, you know, or get family members in. I, I think they're all citizens at this point. Oh, that, and that's that's the route you would like people to see is the the, you know, the natural, you know, progression to follow. But we've we've kind of disabused people that you have to go that route to come here or to stay here. I guess the bottom so, line so, question is: if it, it's so devalued now, Tom. I mean, what's what's the point of being a citizen? But I mean, if, but I'm saying if, if you and I are, are hanging around in India, I'll say that, and we we went to school, we we you know we're able-bodied, we have a job, and we're say we're working in medical stuff. Can we just move here and become a citizen, or, or is, is there a restriction? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm asking. Well, it's definitely being controlled because you see larger numbers of people from various parts of the globe represented here than recently arrived residents than you do from other parts of the globe. And why that is, or, or who's controlling that, um, nobody ever talks about, nobody ever questions. But I'm not sure it's wrong. I mean, I'm just saying it. I mean, there's a lot of people... But the thing is, there's, there's a process that's being you know, heavily manipulated at some level, and nobody can really explain it to anybody's satisfaction. Here's the right way to do it. Here's how most people do it. Here's definitely the wrong way to do it this but it's all conflated in a way that oh it's all okay and this is what floor is me but we i mean I, but I mean angelica our, our dear friend angelica her she's from ukraine her mom was in one of the areas actually where they where, the, where they're trying to take back now that that's that's her city where you know it's, there's like she sent me pictures of her high school which is rubble her the hospital she was born in which is rubble uh so her mom is now here and she's taken english she's got two jobs i mean she's a spectacular lady just like Angelique, <laughs> well, she, she's uh, Angelique's got a stronger personality, should we say? Anyway, but she's a terrific lady. We've had her over for dinner and so forth, and uh, she's a blessing to have here. Now, how, how did she get here? I guess my question: She did it legally. I mean, she not that she snuck through Toronto or any place. I mean, is the normal process? What I'm trying to ask is: Is the normal process fairly open? I mean, I know one of the guys I have a drink with once in a while is he's from Poland. His parents were immigrants. His name was born here, but you know, cousins and people they come here and they live and and they become. I mean, is the normal mechanism fairly easy? Is it? I mean, even if you do, if you do it right, I guess is my question. Well, I think it's very easy if you can qualify for refugee status, especially if you're in an area of the world where the U.S. has been so heavily involved militarily or politically that there's no question that you are one of the refugees we sort of knew would be the downside of our intervention there. So you look at countries like Vietnam, you look at Ukraine, you look at, you know, Serbia, any place where we had, you know, military engagement, and and the French are an even more vivid example of this. I mean, their colonial empire has translated now into an an immigrant crisis that they really don't know how to deal with, and that they should have seen coming 150 or 200 years ago. But I think it's fairly easy if you're in some of these designated places where the U.S. has participated massively in disrupting things to provide a place for you here. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. But do they? Saying is, it, but it, is it, the mechanism that she's here with the idea that when this, hopefully, when this is over, she goes back 
I'd like to see her stay. <laughs> She's a well, credit to the play. And I bet a lot of these people you know, came here believing they would stay, and by that, uh, enabling that by any way they could, legally. I hope. But this is, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying to discourage, you know, people from thinking that you know the U.S. should be a place where refugees are welcome. But I think we have to look a little deeper and say that we've kind of stripped away any pretense of what we're trying to accomplish with our policy now, which is we don't care if you're a refugee or from where you're coming or who you are or what you've been, you know, doing before you got here. None of that seems to make any difference to Alejandro Mayorkas is to hear him testify. I, they don't seem to have any regard for, you know, the backgrounds of any of these people or the reasons why they're seeking asylum or why they didn't seek asylum in another country to which they passed through. Jen, is there you any know, chance we could get normal people? Now, you and I, you know, we clash on a lot of this, but I, I would have you the first person in the room for a solution to it. Why, why is it impossible today? And I'm not going to say to people, first of all, if everybody in the room agrees, what's the point of having them all there? <laughs> right? I mean, you, you might as well just have one of them there if everybody thinks the same way. But uh, wh- why can't we sit down and for a month and a half or six months, however long it takes, have people from both sides of the aisle and the State Department meet you know, every weekend at Camp David or someplace and have 30 people and say, all right, where are all these people coming from? And uh, let, pick a place, because we knew a guy from Nicaragua in school, Mario. Uh, Let's pick a place. Let's pick Nicaragua. How many people in Nicaragua is it? And I don't even know if it's a bad place. How many people in Nicaragua <clears throat> are knocking at the door and then the Rio Grande are swimming across the river or something? Well, it looks like about a hundred thousand. Really? What, what's wrong in Nicaragua? Well, look at the they got this guy's in charge and nobody makes any money. These guys are rich. It's a it's a bleep hole. By the way, how much money have we given Nicaragua in the last twenty five years? Uh, five billion. I mean, I, why why can't there be a complete review? Of this whole mess, with the idea of coming up with some kind of, some kind of a policy. Well, first thing we're going to do is stop giving them money, or something. I, I I don't know the solutions, but does anybody have their hands around the whole problem? Does anybody care? Or is everybody just trying to get a soundbite? Tom, there's there's too many people who don't think that's a problem at all, and those are, that's why you'll never have a, you know a meeting like the one you're describing at Camp David or someplace because you're not going to get enough people to see that there's any recommendations to be made and any of the recommendations that could be made are ones they have no interest in adopting. Um, one of the things I would like to address is, you know, how is it that we can turn away from the power that the drug cartels have in Mexico to get people there and to trade them into, you know, really slavery networks yep. and funnel them into this country and not think that we're somehow enabling them or are we working oh, sure we are. for them? Sure we are. But but you know look what happened in, in Ecuador last night. But don't you think that they don't you think that they have some political power here? I do. Well, they got more than people would ever want. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, what but happened I, in I, what I happened in Ecuador? Entire a, the, the entire DHS. You know. Call me system. call me call me a dummy. What happened in Ecuador? Well, the, the opponent in the presidential race, the elections coming up in two weeks, I think, was assassinated by the drug cartels. And the drug cartels are, you know, have, making significant inroads in, in Ecuador to, to the point of controlling ports and you know, shipments of goods. I mean, it's, it's the, the cartels, not you know. Well, they're not. They're not. They're, not, they're alternative. They're alternative governments at this point. Right. That's what Mexico has, yeah. and we know it, and we enable it. We fund it. I don't. I don't know. I'm not so sure what. How, how do you get from wanting them the hell out of there, and wouldn't, not really? Would, you wouldn't care so much if. 
they all had a big meeting one day and an asteroid landed on it. Uh, how do you get from there to Harry Truman's uh, greatest line about somebody in South America and he goes, well, he may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. I mean, how do you, I mean, well, I mean you, know, but you don't, you can't expect all these, for some reason, and this is what the, we've talked about this before, the Milton Freemans in the world. Actually, I heard about a, uh, some, one thing I've learned on this show from Lou and some of the other people that I've really learned from, uh, you can't just put your economic common sense that you think you have into somebody else's brain because they're not, Putin's not going to think like me, neither is Z, whatever the hell his name is. So some guy was on yesterday, a, a rep, I think he was a Republican rep, I'm not sure. Might have been a Democrat, it didn't really make a difference. Uh, and he was talking about how China's unemployment rates up and their young people aren't doing so hot and their debt's calling. Now's the time for us to engage and think about reinvesting and open this back up and we're going to help them out and blah, 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 and, and we're going to make all this progress. And I'm thinking, he sounds like me 10 years ago before. <laughs> or 15 well, years they'd ago. They'd be saying the same thing if, if the Chinese, you know, economic numbers are going in the opposite direction. Well, I'm, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying, so let, you know, there, if, if we just do this right and, and yes. economically come to some kind of agreement, one of these days, Z's not going to have people slave working in plants and they're still not going to want to take over Taiwan. He, he sounds as naive as, as I was before I met Lou. He's crooked, Tom. He's not naive. Well, I mean, you're saying, if, 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 but I mean, I don't think Milton Friedman was crooked, and yet he really thought that if you could impart economic growth and economic cooperation, that the political part would follow. He was an absolute believer in that. And that whole generation of, of economists were the same way. And that's why he was helping, uh, not helping him kill people, right? that's why he was consulting with Allende in Chile, thinking if Allende just made the place more economically free, that the Allendes of the world would disappear. He honestly believed that. And at the time, uh, maybe I believe some of it too, that, that people would, would think like we do, and as long as your population is doing better and so forth, you'd be happy with that. But they're not like that. Putin's not like oh, that. And, you know, know. We, were, we were seduced, Tom, into thinking after World War II, the, you know, when Western Europe saw you know, the wisdom of our political system and uh, the wealth that it created, and we were able to bail out countries. We had plenty of money to throw around. It... it you know, for a while, anyway, it's come and gone. But we, we had lots. Yeah, it's of still pretty. I, I still think that it, the we don't have to worry about you know the French being a dictatorship and assassinating people. I mean, they're, they're, I don't think today they're thinking about taking over Switzerland like China is Taiwan. I mean, or they're certainly not in Ukraine like Putin. Well, they, they don't have an emperor anymore, and they, yeah. they have a somewhat more stable system of government. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't call the French a model of stability. No, no. Well, nobody's um, in this world but, who's but, stable. But, We've also created, you know, a monster like we're experiencing too, where they've got a immigrant problem comparable or worse per capita than ours, maybe, and they've got a, a disaffected population, the, the old guard, who's horrified at what you know the president is doing. Oh yeah, yeah. The rage in in France these days is comparable to, to the rage you feel in this country too. So though that honeymoon kind of came and went, but there's still a, a wing of of our diplomatic corps here that says, you know. All we have to do is model ourselves in front of people who we can work with, and they'll see the brilliance of what we've done, and they'll want to adopt it. And you know, I'm, I'm just I'm sorry that ship sailed a long time ago, and it's a waste of time to try to get the Chinese. Well, we got a we got a dash here, but it was like my my buddy, uh, good friend Mark Duffy, was vice chairman of the exchange for a while. We were talking politically one night over an adult beverage, and he, and he said, I don't know what where we were trying to inject democracy. I think it was Iraq, and he goes, you know, it, it comes from this. Uh, 
European U.S. model that it's in people's mind that you actually will leave office, as we're doing right now with Trump, you will leave office if you lose and you become the loyal opposition and you figure out why you lost and you try and get you know, get your, your platform back together so you win the next time. He goes, none of these other places have any concept of what that even means. So to, so to, so to have an, econo- a, a, you know, a, a, an election in Iraq is like, you know, like having an alligator pond. I mean, uh, I mean if, the, if people don't understand what it all means and how you're actually supposed to leave if you lose, and, and, you're, and by the way, you keep working because now your party's in the minority, you're trying to get it back. Because if you don't have any of that, what's the point? I, I think he's probably right, unfortunately. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, we're kind of going progressively here because, you know, all the, you know, the hoopla about election interference, I, I always feel that the ones who are shouting it most loudly right now are projecting, just like Hillary Clinton was projecting in, you know, 2016 to blaming the Russians for colluding with Trump oh, when oh, it was yeah. she who was then colluding with them. And she was interfering in the election results as much or more so. Without than, a doubt. You know, the, the problem with Hillary... The problem with Hillary never recognized was people like me that would never vote for her because she had trades in her account that weren't hers. Read, read her last piece in the Atlantic Times. Oh, God. Unreal. John, yeah. we got a dash here, buddy. <laughs> By the way, I missed you last night. Uh, Could have used one more person because uh, I met uh, Bill at the uh, Tripoli, and after, I'd say, three-quarters of the crowd went to Bruce Springsteen, the other quarter went to the Salt Shed, and there was Bill and me. <laughs> Evidently, at Salt Shed. I'm glad I'm not young anymore, Tom. Well, you know what? At Salt Shed, it looks like a great place. I think if, we, if we've got a spot in a box there or something, I think we'd like to go. I'd rather have crowd. another one of those than the casino. So. Without a doubt. SP Futures up 32. NASDAQ Futures up 152. Again, CPI number 3.2 year over year, 0.2 on the month. So everybody likes it so far. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.